You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. With over 200,000 locations throughout the U.S. and offering 12,000 different types of batteries, stop into your local Interstate Battery store today and let them help you find the right batteries for your everyday life. Welcome to the For Love of the Land podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith and Matt Dye. Each week, we're interviewing guests from across America. They all have one thing in common. They all are tied to the land. So if you're like us and you love all things land, welcome home. All right, guys. Thanks for uh, being here another week on the For Love of the Land podcast. Uh, Matt's up to myself and my brother, Chad. Chad, thanks for jumping on. Once again, fed to the fire. Anytime. Yeah. It seems uh, to be the theme when I come on. <laughs> it seems to be the theme as in it's Sunday night. We're trying to knock podcasts out or it's Saturday night. We got to get this done. Um, I can't make it. And, you know, this last month and a half has been really chaotic for myself. And so you've jumped on in my shoes a lot. So appreciate it. Uh, Although it is different this time because generally I'm on the road. Oh, but gotcha. I'm, yeah. I'm actually sitting waiting for turkey hunt tomorrow so there you go um so i everybody i don't know which one they listen to first habitat heroes podcast this week is food plots uh for level land podcast is kind of a something uh of course it's 30 minute podcast and we want to discuss something that is near and dear to our land management ideas our very foundation and uh it really comes down to um the concern and the the fears I have looking at looking ahead, um, and it really comes down to uh, non-native, native, uh, non-native invasive exotic uh, species. It's honestly something that I I don't think is as feared by most of the public as it needs to be. Yeah, you know what I mean. Absolutely. You read read Facebook posts by conservation agencies about Bradford pears and bush honeysuckle. And you look through the comments and it's, well, my Bradford pears aren't going anywhere. I've had them for 30 years and I've never seen them sprout in my yard. Yes. Or I like the smell of honeysuckle. Yep. Or another big one is autumn olive. And and autumn olive in the... Do you remember the the discussion? You probably do. Uh, years ago, you know, uh, the northern side of our family farm was pretty open timber. We've done a lot of TSI and cedar removal now, to where you can't see a long ways up in it, but it's really open. And uh, we were trying to figure out how to screen it. 
and we had autumn olives growing in our yard, uh, not in the yard, but on kind of a hedgerow, which is what they were planted for, and uh, not by us, but before. And uh, we said, "Boy, that'd be a really that'd be a really great screen to keep people from driving the gravel road to be able to see up through the timber lot." And I remember yeah. asking you. You said you'd brought it up to me. Hey, there's a species autumn olive. It's what we have growing in our yard that we could plant there. And I got all all excited. I was like, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. And I kept, and like a year went by and we hadn't done it yet. And I'm like, why aren't we doing that? And I remember you saying, well, I think there's some people that are saying that uh, it might be a little bit aggressive and take over some areas um, before invasive species was really a term that we used. And I was saying, I don't know how you found that out because that was long before internet. That was long before uh, the ability yeah, to I just don't, I don't really look remember. on social media. But somehow well, you see, found that out. Autumn olive is one that gets me that I, I see this phrase used a lot. And it's, I see, you know, the two terms I use with the others. And then with it, it's, well, the conservation agency brought it in. They should do something about it. Yeah. It's like, if you really care about the environment and our ecosystems, who cares who brought it in? Who's to blame? Let's Take care of it. get rid of it. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> that is definitely, and and you go, going back, it, to what you said earlier, a lot of people are unknown. They don't know of the issues that are we're facing with invasive species, or not just not just invasive species, but it's the deterioration of native species um, because we're removing native species to to uh, release or plant or uh, add. They may not be nat- uh, invasive species, but they're non-native, and that's probably just as crucial to be aware of as invasive species is the introduction of non-native species that uh, involves removing a native species, and this goes from from food plots to uh, screening your property to. Um, planting on your on your own farm, planting your garden, planting in your yard, planting wherever it is, uh, landscaping around your business. There's a lot of red flags. There's a lot of things you should be aware of. And when it comes to uh, understanding it, you know, you see a lot of people that, that you, they don't know what's happening in front of them. Um, you see state agencies sharing it. But then there's, unfortunately, there's, there are state agencies that are saying they're building lists, like the USDA uh, has lists of invasive species for certain states. And um, they, But then on the other side, you have people that advocate it, that species, because it benefits one species that they're concerned about. Um, and that's a huge, to me, that's like, that's a huge no-no. That's definitely something we want to avoid. Um, and that removes any chance of ever really being considered a, as a land manager or deer manager. Cause I feel like if you're a deer manager, you should be concerned about all things that, that are involved with the deer going to the soil, to, um, the species that the deer might not eat, but they bet against, um, going to the woody browse. It should be all things deer and associated with deer that we're concerned about. And instead of just this one fix by planting well, should, an invasive or, or you should be concerned. Invasive. You should be concerned with the whole ecosystem that involves the deer and not just the deer that you're going to try to kill. That's right. 
That's right. So um, there's a lot of a lot of things out there. So when it comes to invasive species, we listed out some of them, but some of the most popular. Uh, man, I've seen so many of them this spring consulting, but uh, it really depends. I know Matt just shared with me, Chad, that uh, his consultant in Pennsylvania. He talked, said he saw a lot of invasive species. It feels like the further east you go, the more invasive species there are. Um, and I, I have a feeling that's because they've been brought in. One hundred percent. A lot of them have been in years and years ago. One hundred percent. A lot of them the spread from the east. When when the Bradford pear was introduced, it was supposed to be sterile. Um, most of us know what happened with that now. As far as that necessarily wasn't the case, it cross pollinated with. Um, oh man! Now it's got calorie pear. Uh, but there was cross-pollination with with other pairs, uh, created this highly invasive species, and you can't hardly drive anywhere near a city or a big subdivision and not see some forms of Bradford pear in the Midwest or even in the uh, well, mid-Atlantic. That's that's what's frightening with the whole Miscanthus giganus yeah. craze, yeah. where people are pushing it like crazy and like, oh, it's sterile, it doesn't seed out. You're starting to see some articles where they're finding where they're finding fertile seeds of those. Yeah, that's right. And you see in deer management so many people. I saw somebody post a picture the other day of a trailer load of the of the stolen sperm. No way. Asking how many how many people thought were there. They were giving something away, but they had a trailer load of bags of them. Oh man, that's scary. That's very, very scary. That's the same thing with, uh, I see it with uh, Miscanthus gigantus, and then also, uh, I'm honestly shocked I haven't seen this yet, um, or seen this pop up on social media, but um, pompous grass. Uh, Mm -hmm. Pompous grass is one of those down in the southeast, it's not quite getting the tall, bushy effect, but I've seen it in Oklahoma where it's 12 foot tall and the thick bushy like wow a lion could hide behind that stuff well, um, what's what's crazy is and frightening is we've listed these off and it's one of those that a lot of people don't i guess have they don't have their eyes trained for for these invasives that's right. there's a, a ongoing list of so many others that you don't even realize until like you look through the book and you're like huh that's invasive i've seen that around and then it just pops out everywhere yep i mean it was like uh Winter creeper is another one you see everywhere. I, I have that at the edge of my yard that I've been trying to fight, and 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 I've killed portions of it, but it just keeps growing back and other and from other other places and uh, other portions behind my uh, privacy fence. That it's just ongoing. But even uh, even our hometown, um, little bitty tiny hometown, there's a lot of invasive species oh, everywhere in, in that town, and it's like that's a town of. 1,296 people. Uh, and then you look at the cities, and it's horrible how many how many uh, invasive species there are. Some of the most popular ones are have been the most popular in, in landscaping. Um, so autumn olive was one of them. Um, Bradford pear being another really big one. Chinese silvergrass, um, pompous grass. Giant reed is another one I've seen uh, in a lot of areas. I saw it in Georgia really bad. Um, and, and a lot of that was just like it was the, they're Trojan horses of, of habitat management. 
We bring them in to plant them in our yard. They make seed, and boom, the birds or other animals or the wind blows them out in native landscape. Well, and that's the, the worst. The worst part of the whole deal is, like I talked about, the the people posting the agencies posting them on Facebook. You see the people. I've had them in my yard for thirty years, and they never went anywhere. It's like, but you mow your yard. Yes. You're keeping it set back. All these idle areas all around you are where all of those invasives are going. It's like they don't – people don't realize how these things are spread. They think that if it's invasive and it's going to spread, it's going to be popping up everywhere in their yard. Yep. Yep. I actually so – here, here in my hometown – uh, not my hometown, but the town I live in now, um, there is a yard, a house that I drive by where they have this really big yard. It's a. It's probably a – in in my area, of course, big big town subdivision of Springfield, Missouri, and uh, it's probably an acre and a half yard, and <laughs> it makes me want to just pull over with a machete and a bottle of herbicide every time I I drive by. But um, they I think have we both have that thought many times. They have a uh, you you know the story of Johnny Appleseed and how he always carried apple seeds and he planted them all across the country. <laughs> I feel like uh, I ought to be called like. Adam, I've had this, Adam, had this Adam syringe com- man or something because I, I carry a syringe of herbicide around and I just inject all these invasive species. I had no this matter exact conversation with people at work where I was, yeah. I told them I was going to be called Johnny Johnny Bradford Pear Killer <laughs> yeah. and just go on a rampage at, at night, going around and killing people's Bradford pears in their yards. Yes. Yes, and so if you're listening to this podcast and you're saying, how in the world is this concerned with deer habitat or my farm or whatever, it's most certainly concerned with your farm because Chad and I have never planted a Bradford pear on our family farm. I've never planted a Bradford pear in my life, um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that all the way to my grave and say I never <laughs> – I was not part of the problem when it, come, when it came to land management, and that's where if you're a person that's – that's advocating for any of these invasive species or any of these non-native species um, that are great for uh, habitat management, like Gigantis miscanthus, or you're advocating planting another miscanthus grass for a screen. Unfortunately, looking back, when time progresses, you're only going to be you're going to be remembered as part of the problem, not part of the solution. And that's really what it comes down to when when you look at it from a simple term. Were you helping the land or were you failing the land? And if you aren't trying to do your part to restore land, uh, the native species and benefic- benefit the whole landscape, then you're not doing land management. Um, you're, you're selfishly trying to improve it for yourself. And that's, that's something that I guess would smash some toes. But at the same time, it's, it's crucial that... If you're going, if we're trying to improve the land, you need to understand what you're doing and why we're doing it this way. Because if you're promoting an invasive species, that could be a huge, huge problem, not just for yourself, but most importantly for the next generations to come. You know, one of the things that got me with the the uh, invasive species and non-natives, remember the article I shared with you from that indigenous landscapes? Yep. Where they were talking about the non-native honeybees using the non-native bush honeysuckle on one side of the road and on the other side of the road it was like goldenrod and it was covered in native bumblebees yeah and they were talking about how the how beneficial the native native uh 
forbs and flowering species were so so important to all of our native solitary bees and like bumblebees and things like that because they don't use they don't normally use our non-native plants that's right and and i think <laughs> honeybees are one of those things that when you say pollinators that's what most people most people automatically think of but honeybees are not native to the united states um and i and i forget but i i believe they're colonizing on five or six continents um while our native bees are native to most most of the time they're just native to the united states or north america um and a lot of them are solitary bees so wood cutting bees leaf cutting bees uh carpenter bees i guess is the more correct term uh, bumblebees um there's all kinds of native pollinators that don't get any credit or really any glory when it comes to pollination but i believe it was something like a uh and i shared this on one but i believe it was a one of the solitary bees did 20 times more pollination than a honeybee um and so when it comes to pollination you should be more concerned about your native bees than your non-native bees and uh so if you're concerned about that, you should be more concerned about your native species than your non-native species. One of the quick stories I wanted to share with you, Chad, um, to talk about, kind of open it up for um, landscaping na with native species as far as understanding the difference between um, land management and then like farm management. And the reason I say that is a lot of times we do all this work on our farm, but in our own yard, we do stuff that would be completely just idiotic to do at our farm. And so it goes with lawn care and planting things around our house. Uh, so little girl, Maya daughter is 20 weeks old yesterday. And, uh, I do a lot of walking. She loves outside just like I do. And so I put her in the stroller and we do a lot of walking around the subdivision and she usually falls asleep pretty quickly. And, uh, so I just take inventory. I listen to audiobooks and podcasts, and I take inventory. Uh, and I haven't, I haven't actually taken inventory yet, like written everything down, all the species. But as I was walking around yesterday, I was like categorizing. Okay, all the all the uh, landscaping shrubs, all the landscaping grasses, all the landscaping trees. Okay, so I focused on trees, and I haven't got it exactly down, but I'm fairly certain that over well i'll ask you what do what would you guess percentage wise was non-native trees versus native trees no oh, it would i would say over 75 percent well I, I it was i i believe it's right around 70 percent is non-native trees <laughs> there's only like and and i'm doing all the things in the front not not in the back because i don't know i can't see the backyards but just in the front which is usually where trees are planted when, when the house is built. They plant in the front. Um, a lot of times in my subdivision, there's fence line all the way around that, that, that they didn't own. So that's just naturally occurring. Um, but, and, and I say naturally occurring, not native occurring, because one portion of subdivision, the whole corner, the northwest corner, the whole backside around the fence, the edge of the pasture is all tree of heaven. Um, but it was about seventy percent, and I think I think if that's cor if it's correct, there's there's over two hundred trees, and I think there was like seven oaks. It was probably almost a majority Bradford pears, wasn't it? Um, Bradford pears, and uh, what was the other one? 
Bradford Pear is a majority. I know Mimosa. M- Mimosa, Bradford Pear. Um, oh, man, what what's the other one? There was one that was like, oh, that's that's interesting that I see that here. I can't remember what it was. I was so There's some you see a, like a Chinese maple or something a lot of times. It's got a weird it has like a weird color is why they and a weird it. leaf. I uh yeah. actually it's weird you say uh Japanese maple. Um I was in Aldi's or Aldi the other night. Uh wife and I had heard that they'd got a new system or whatever. So we went in there to check it out. And they were selling trees and all of them were Japanese maples. I'm Did like, you break the tops on all of them? <laughs> I injected them with herbicide. I just took the bleach and I just dumped it on them. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's it's crazy how many people don't aren't aware of this. And so here we are on our podcast talking to how many people are listening who have stayed with us for all of 19 minutes and the importance of understanding what's going on. Download the iNaturalist app on your phone if you have a smartphone and start learning this because it's crucial. If you're a deer hunter, you should be concerned about this because it helps your deer knowing how to remove or what species you have growing. And if you want to bring more people in or you want some more um, people that aren't hunters, maybe you have some antis in your family, anti-hunters in your family, environmentalists in your family, and they think you're crazy because you do all this for deer. If you have an understanding of what species you have and you're going at it from a naturalist standpoint of, I'm trying to remove the non-natives, the invasives, because I want better landscape for a deer, that's that's the goal. We're not, we shouldn't be focused on one-hit wonders or one-species wonders where all, everything I do is for this one species. If you want maximum production, I promise you, you focus on the land. The species you're most concerned about is probably going to, it will get better because you focused on the land. Um, and so that's a huge thing. Chad, any guesses on what um, the most common grass is in my uh, in my yard? Um, well, I'll just say it's kind of hard to tell because it's always getting mowed, but um, you you automatically know which one it is. It's it's a n- non-native cool season grass. It's a mix of orchard grass and tall fescue. Um, yeah, that's you I, either see that or you see Bermuda. Yep, no Bermuda in mine um, in my subdivision, uh, and this is probably sixty houses I think. Um, and so, <laughs> what do you think? What is there for the bees right now? Dandelions. Dandelions. The the most hated species in lawns. Which people are probably spending a lot of money right now spraying. Yeah, they're everywhere this year here. So they have a monoculture of grass. That's right. Monoculture of grass. And, uh, oh, man. So definitely, definitely um, something to focus on when it comes to native landscapes. So let's go over some of our favorites. Um, When it comes to, because we've had this question several times pop up where people are like, okay, well, if that's the case, what are some of the alternatives? When it comes to lawns, first thing I'll say this about lawns, lawns should never be, and and this is where people may, I may get some backlash on this, but lawns are not something that if you're looking at, you want to do something beneficial to the land, your lawn shouldn't be three acres that you mow every, every week and you cut it an inch high or two inches high. Um, lawns try to shrink them down if possible. And if you're like the only the only benefit to having the green mowed lawn 
is to have a defensible space around your house if you're somewhere where there's fire problems. That's it. That's the only benefit to That's having it. a green mowed lawn. And in a lot of cases, and a lot of places out west, especially where fire may be a big problem, is uh, it takes a lot of water to keep those cool season non-aimed grasses green. And so then you're draining the water table trying to keep that fire barrier there. Um, when it comes to... So you may be going, well, what the what in the world do I plant? There are some native turf grasses that are out there. Now, it's not your traditional what you're expecting. They're going to grow and create this sod effect. But creeping red fescue being a native cool season, um, that's, that's a turf-like effect. Creeping red no, fescue. I guess, I guess you could mention there's a, there's a reason that most of our native grasses are not suitable for in a yard that's mowed all the time because that's not natural. No. It's not natural to be mowed to every week no. that's not that's not happening in nature they were grazed but they weren't grazed every week like that um and so think of short grass prairies that's where a lot of these people that are going into these native native lawns are going is trying to replicate short grass prairies buffalo grass uh is a great one it's a warm season um turf grass and so that could be your issue on for me, I've, I've been asked this question, and it's something that I'm I'm continuing to design in my mind and, and map out of how to create the perfect native landscape uh, around your house. And uh, buffalo grass is awesome, but if you're looking for if you're in a fire area, that's probably not your best option um, because for a portion of the year, especially during that early spring um, or late winter when humidity may be dropping. It's dormant, so it's just laying there in a, in a yellow, dry state. Um, but buffalo grass will be part of my landscape one of these days. Uh, when we build our house, it's going to start out with creeping red fescue and a mix of some other um, cluster fescue as another native cool season. Um, and then, But the biggest thing is not mowing every week. Uh, that's just a huge one that, like you said, Chad, it's not native. Um, so if you read anything on... Oh, I shared one lately or a couple months ago about um, lawn care and, and how to benefit the bees. The, one of the biggest things was they said don't mow every week. Um, let it let some of those weeds grow in those dandelions. They said clovers, but, of course, the clovers that we see in our yard are not native. The ladinos, the white clovers, um, they're not native. Uh, honeybees go crazy on them. Uh, but you can plant some stuff that – that still there's some there's some um, native uh, wildflowers that are really short that that grow in kind of this turf like effect. Um, but when we're focusing mainly on the grasses, then it goes with creeping red fescue. Um, another one is blue grama, and then of course you can use side oats grama. Some of these other short grass um, native species. That's one that I think is a really cool grass. Which one? Of the natives. Side oats. Yeah, I think that blue grandma is really, really cool. Just just the way it grows, where it comes up and it has all the little oats off the side of it. Yep. It's just a cool-looking grass. For sure. And so those are some things that you can plant. When it comes to the shrubs, uh, Chad, do you have any favorite shrubs that you would see yourself planting in a around a house setting that would be not only aesthetically pleasing but also beneficial. One that one that I think most people miss out on when you hear them talk about like the honeysuckle and smell the honeysuckle. To me, one of my favorites this time of year, well, I guess a couple of weeks ago, is the wild plum. Yep. 
those things smell so sweet. At times it's almost overpowering how sweet they smell. Yep, and it's a beautiful bloom as well. Well, and not to mention you plant them, you've also got the benefit of having plums. That's it. I mean, they actually put fruit on. It's the same with, I mean, that's to me, that's the the reason you plant some of these shrubs is it's a dual benefit. You can do hazelnuts. Hazelnuts are another cool one. Yep. That, that if, if you get them ahead of the chipmunks and squirrels, you can have hazelnuts. Yep. Uh, one of my favorites, obviously, American Beautyberry. Um, I think that one would be something so cool. You see it. It's funny. Uh, you see you see the native landscapes really only around, like, MDC does a great job of using native species to landscape with around their offices. Beautyberry I see a lot. Um and some of the other grasses that we'll mention here in a little bit, because when you look at landscaping, there's there's shrubs, and then there's like bunch grasses that grow a little bit taller that they're trying to use. Um, then you have flowers, and then you have your your yards and trees. Um, so we're talking about shrubs right now, woody species that are going to grow whatever five six foot, and uh, are going to provide blooms, um, whatever else. Um, and so. That's Matt right there buzzing in. I have to decline him. I don't know if you guys heard that or not. Um, so anyway. The, the other the other shrub that I see that, I mean, obviously right now draws a lot of people's eyes is the dogwood. I mean, that's yep. one that you plant them right now, and they're beautiful right now. That's it's right. bright white. The, the flowering uh, dogwood is, is beautiful. Um, and one of them, too, that could be really cool uh, that's beneficial is witch hazel. Yeah, and it's a it's a cool. I mean, the its season is really cool. Where it blooms, you'll see witch hazel blooming in like January. Yeah, and it's yellow. It's not your traditional color that you would see. So, witch hazel is definitely um, one that that I would love to see. Um, I'm trying to think of any other any other shrubs. And, it, that... and and this is one like talking about the different. I mean, I mentioned the dogwoods are blooming now, but the uh, plums bloomed earlier. It's another thing to look at in your landscaping. If you're really interested in your pollinator species, try to plant as many different blooms at different times of the year to provide for them throughout the time that they're out. If you plant and stage all of these different plants that are blooming at different times of the year throughout the summer, you have pollinate, you have pollen for those species throughout the summer. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You know, Chad, there was something that popped up the other day I shared with you um, that I was, like, really concerned about. But thankfully, I did a little more research. And shame on whatever website it was. A couple of them. But uh, the red eastern redbud is a native species, by the way. Oh, it is? Yes. Huh. You had me believe in the other. I I was kind of disappointed. I I was, too. So that's another one that that you could plant. Uh, My wife will be happy about that because... So one thing that we'll continue doing or start doing on our on our social media page is sharing weekly a species that is uh, got an interesting fact, and so we'll try to post a picture of it and then something cool uh, about it. And I taken a picture of redbud, and I'm like researching like where its range at or what's really cool, and it was like saying that it was from Europe and Asia. I'm like, what? No, not the redbud. And uh, but no, it sure enough is a is a native to the southeast and east and midwest. So all good there. Red Bud's another one. 
Um, but like you just said, any any landscaping, uh, the house that my wife and I bought, uh, the guy before us has spent a lot of money in hiring, I'm, I'm guessing, a landscaping crew to where there's supposed to be something blooming throughout the growing season. Um, and that's what we want to design for our bees as well in our own native landscape. So we've got our native grasses, um, but then it comes to the shrubs. And if you can time it right, the witch hazel is something that bloom later in the year. Uh, Dogwood is going to bloom kind of this time of the year, early in spring. But if you plant a plum, it's going to bloom a little bit before the, the uh, dogwood. Um, let's talk about some of the trees. Of course, with trees... Um, we always want something that grows fast. Duh, right? Um, but at the same time, we want something that provides shade that's not dropping something that we're going to have to mow, like a walnut tree. Walnut tree is something I want in my yard. Uh, dropping walnuts every fall, and it's not, it drops early. Um, uh, it drops its leaves early. It's not not ideal. Chad, what do you have in mind? Hmm, I'm trying to think of what. I mean, it's tough to not, I mean, Oaks are very fast growing, yeah. But they're going to be if if you plan on being there for a long time, they're going to be more sturdy than yes. What a lot of people plant. That's that's the thing with a fast growing tree. A lot of times your fast growing trees aren't as aren't as tough as tulip poplar. Yes, tulip poplar is one of them that it grows really really fast, but they get demolished in storms. That's right. Now we know firsthand firsthand because we had a tulip poplar in our yard you remember how often we were dragging dragging limbs from that to the garden i just remember how fast it grew to the point where we were hanging tree stands in it yeah tulip poplar is one of those that i mean it is native to the u.s mainly the eastern united states but we have them here in missouri and and they grow fast and provide great shade so that might be an option um you know i forget who it is that said but if you're going to plant a tree plant an oak and because it's a, it's the one that means the most. There are some oaks now that people are planting, some hybrid oaks that are like a cross between things that are a little bit quicker growing than you traditionally think. So if I'm planting, if I move to my forever home, I'm going to plant oaks around it because that's something that's really cool. Another uh, cool and at the same time it's strong. I mean, there's a reason why people write songs about the strength of an oak. Another one that I really want would be whatever my native pine is to my area. So if I'm in South, say, I'm doing long leaf, but I'm doing short leaf pines. Um, there's a reason why a short leaf pine is our, is our logo. Uh, it takes a while to grow, but at the same time, man, there's nothing quite like the sound of wind through a pine tree. Uh, I mean, if you're looking, I mean, I, another one I think of, which, I mean, we've kind of not been a fan because they they grow a lot, but the more you research it, a black gum isn't a bad one because it also puts on a lot of fruit for, yep, for a lot of your species around. That's right. Another, and it's, it's a pretty tree. I mean, it is. honestly, you see it out away from everything, and in the fall, it's a really pretty color in the fall. That's when right. It changes. Yep. Another another tree that's quick growing. Um, the only issue would be the amount of leaves these things drop and the size of them. But if you're looking for a quick growing tree. That uh, that provides great shade. Sycamore, is another one. Yeah, um, yeah, and you end up with the little puff balls everywhere. You'd end up with little puff balls everywhere, but at the same time, they're a cool tree. The, the what was it? All uh, McClare, endangered sycamore. That's what he always called them. <laughs> um, so those are some lists of native trees that are quick growing, 
um, that could provide great shade. It'd be great landscaping and beneficial uh, to the land. Um, flowers and bunch grasses. When it comes to the landscaping, like how many times do you drive around and you see somebody planted a bunch grass uh, around their mailbox or in their yard, and it ends up being a non-native? That to me is like there are so many I'm, of these. Honestly, honestly, I can only think of like one person that planted a native bunch grass, and he works for the driveway. department. Yes, and that he planted eastern gamma grass. Yep. Yep. That looks cool. It looks cool. And I saw where the people were trying to mow it and cut it out uh, a couple of years ago, and it came back. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, eastern gamma grass would be a really cool one. That one gets so big, but it kind of – and it starts falling over, but it's still a really cool one. The one that I, I've i seen – I actually have it in my subdivision. Somebody planted one of the uh, panicum grasses, one of our native switch grasses. Don't know which one it is because it's kind of up close to their house, and I feel like a total weirdo creeper if I go up there. I'm just looking at your grass. Um, but they definitely have it in their yard, which is really cool to see. Um, but this is this this category is one where you see way more non-natives than you do natives. Um, I always think little blue stem would be such a cool landscaping bunch grass because of its height, its color, and its density when it when it grows. Well, and honestly, one that, I mean, a lot of farmers cuss, but broom sedge. Yeah. Or even like Elliot's. Yeah. Elliot's blue stem would be a cool one. Uh, it's got a really pretty color to it. Bushy blue stem would be really cool, too, um, if you can get it growing in, in a cluster. Sometimes you see it where it may only be a couple of stems, but if you could get it in a cluster, it'd be a really cool one as well. It's, I mean, honestly, it's kind of one of those, you would love to have a variety of them. Of all the like, like you know, we found that split beard blue stem. Yep, that's kind of puffy looking at the top. It was a cool one. Yep. Um. Oh gosh, what else do we got here? Uh, when it comes to some of our flowers, obviously, I, I was, it was really cool last year. I saw, I saw a place where uh, the guy had planted a bunch of natives around his yard and around his house. And he had uh, butterfly milkweed in his flower bed right next to his house, and there was five monarch caterpillars in there. And it's like you can you can provide benefit to the monarchs even in your own land in, in your yard, but instead we plant some uh, little flowering thing that you pick up at Lowe's. Um, yeah, and so or a, or a seed packet of non-native flowers. Yeah, that people plant. Or butterfly bush. That's a huge like that. one. That's a huge one. Butterfly bush. That was a there. I saw a couple of them in my in my subdivision. What was the other one? Uh, man, what is the one that uh, turns bright red? I'm trying to think of that. Burning uh, bush. Burning bush. That's it. Burning bush is another one. Um, no. Yeah, I think this is something we're gonna have to talk about with our parents because. Years ago for Mother's Day, we bought our mom. Shoot, I was probably 12. Uh, we bought her for Mother's Day a, a burning bush, and it's still in their yard today. So we're going to have to chop that baby down and get something native in there. For sure. <laughs> well, and there's also winter creeper all around it. Yeah, that's right. But we did not gift that to her, so we can't we can't take the blame for that one. But um, burning bush is a big one. There's a bunch of it here in, in our subdivision. Um, butterfly, uh, butterfly bush, 
which is not a great option. Um, I hate that name for it to too. The, back to the native flowers, talking about planting. Yet again, like I mentioned with the shrubs, try to if you if you're trying to plant a bunch of native flowers for all your pollinator species, try to plant as many different timings as you can to where they're blooming throughout the summer. That's right. That's try right. to find them that bloom at different periods of the summer to where you provide food through that whole year or through the whole summer and not just at one time of the year. That's right. I, I, I would encourage you to check out purenatives.com because they sell plugs to where you have a better survival rate because you're buying something a little bit older, a little bit more established root system that is designed for your, uh, for your landscaping. Chad, Final thoughts. You got anything else to add? I think we covered a lot of the topics there. Um, pretty well covered it. We could talk on this for hours. This is what we do talk about on for hours, but it's just not recorded for a podcast. So, I mean, I called you just the other day to tell you I saw Bush Honeysuckle all through Fayetteville as I drove through. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Shoot us an idea or uh, something that's growing in your native landscape or your yard or if you have some ideas uh, for us or native species you plan to have great success with in your lawn. Anyway, guys, much appreciated. Thank you so much for always listening, and we'll catch you next time.